2: Welcome back to A Changing Attitude, the podcast that takes a look back at the the attitude era of WWF and realizes how terrible it actually was. Uh, I am Mags uh, and I'm joined uh, on today's show by the wonderful, the original, uh, often imitated, never duplicated, Ori, the only draw. Ori, how are you?
1: I am good. How are you, my friend?
2: Yes, I'm doing good. Had a, a, a nice, understated Christmas. Plenty of food, plenty of uh, of good times and uh, spent with the family yourself. The
1: same. Lots of, well, not as much food as we normally do. Uh, it was nice and quiet and understated. We're, we're sadly in the middle of the Omarian surge here in Louisiana. That's what I'm calling it the omarians nobody can say it right which i think is the funniest
2: what, thing what's the uh, omarians instead
1: of o- omicron ah omegatron yeah
2: okay. we we have hit bad with that in the uk uh, yeah I've just, I've just read today that the the top 25 areas of the uk hit the worst of it are all in daddy's uh neck of the woods all down there in in that dirty london Yikes.
3: Yikes!
1: Yes, yeah, it's not. We've got over 500 people hospitalized here currently, as of I believe wow. yesterday. Um, almost, I think, a little over 18,000 tests, and at least 14 to 1500 new cases. Oof. Two of them being family members of mine, and. One of them's my stepdad and who's currently going through cancer treatments. And so that's frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were trying to take, you know, as many precautions as we could. We're not a hundred percent sure, you know, nobody over here, we could be asymptomatic, but none of us have shown any type of type of symptoms. Um, but we took as many precautions as we could. And so we're mm. being very, very careful. My mother-in-law has already had it once, you know, we're all vaxxed up and whatnot. Um, but still, just a really concerning situation. But Christmas in and of itself was good. We're recording in that weird week between Christmas and New, the, New Year's. The
2: void. Yeah, it. that
1: nobody knows really what day it is or where they are or what's happening. But you know, you're kind of in that weird space in work where it's like, I don't really want to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting it together and making it through and looking at this space
2: pay-per-view Ugh. oh well i mean we'll get into it uh, i don't of think um, we may not share the 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 same viewpoints on it but uh i'm uh on serious note I've, I've got everything crossed for you for your family members everyone you, you, you know with a with the covid variant hopefully um it's proving to be maybe not as as deadly as uh as previous uh variants uh but a lot more kind of infectious so hopefully people can can get over it quickly and get uh uh get uh the booster jabs and and, and make sure that they they are doing all that they can to to keep themselves safe um but we're not uh going on this this Terrible journey uh, into, uh, into a WWF uh, 1996 pay-per-view alone, uh, returning again um, and leading this episode, uh, which is going to be fun. Uh, it's uh, Kent's very own Scottish juggler himself,
3: Danny. Danny, how are you? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me on yet again. And I'm excited to get into this uh, pay-per-view. Yep. So how was your Christmas? Oh, quite pretty good. Yeah, pretty quiet, just usual, uh, just surrounding my sisters and things like that. And then uh, just, yeah, just spending time with Denise, which I always enjoy. Oh, cool. So yeah, Danny, do you uh, want to take the
2: reins in this this, uh, episode?
3: Yep, so we today we're gonna to be looking at WWF in your house, it's time, which uh with no evader, which is uh I found very strange. <laughs> it still strange. sounds so weird. It sounds it really is so
1: weird. weird. It's totally weird. <laughs>
3: It's, yeah. it's just uh it's just one of those things I guess. But um, where was Vader at this time? Did anyone uh, look it, it was sti-
2: No, he was still with the company. and He certainly wasn't oh. injured. Um, the aim of this show was for him to be defending his title. But uh, obviously, uh, SummerSlam a few months ago, Shawn Michaels did a done a Shawn Michaels and uh politicked his way to to not dropping the title. Um yep. so- And
1: supposedly, Vader was injured from. Uh, the match, I believe, at Survivor Series from Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the angle that they're playing anyway.
2: The, that's the KF run. But, yeah, essentially this was <laughs> meant to be Vader's kind of come out uh, as, as champion. But uh, Shawn Michaels put the carbosh onto that. Um, cool. But uh, some, some uh, quick facts about it. This was at, uh, held at the West Palm Beach Auditorium. Uh, in Florida, uh, on December the 15th, 1996, so in the run-up to Christmas, and the attendance was actually a capacity of 5,708, uh, and if you're looking for it on the Peacock, I'm sure Ori has the, t- the numbers.
1: I do, and I will tell you this one's a little <laughs> bit more difficult to find. What you'll need to do when you get to the WWE section is go down to pay-per-view specials. They're not going to list them all in that little rolling left to right scroll. If you press to the left, that will allow you to view all. You can scroll down and go directly to In Your House. It'll And then from there, it'll be Season 2, Episode 7. I had a little trouble finding it, and that's why I'm giving you all of this direction. Because if you just try and go to that general left to right scroll on the initial wwe page you're not going to find it there you'll have to press left and then that view all button will come up and it'll give it to you more in a in a four row grid pattern and so then you can scroll down from there and find in your house and like i said season two episode seven
2: yeah very very convoluted on that peacock app i think we are we're very lucky to still have the, the actual WWE network here in the UK. Although um, there is talk that Peacock are going to launch in the UK very, very soon. And uh, probably <laughs> then you can
1: suffer along with me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but, um, after that, Danny, take it away, sir. Yep. So uh, to open up, we had a really good uh, opening package, uh, which highlighted the main event and uh mankind versus the uh, sorry uh, undertaker versus the executioner uh, what did you think about this the uh, opener yeah, I, thought, I thought it was very 99 yeah it's um it, it it shows that
2: WWE, even back then was still good at these kind of like promotional packages Um um, it focused on Shawn Michaels, which is, was um, a little bit uh, interesting. I'm supposed to say he was not really uh, involved in, in in the match, and we also kind of see that later on uh, in the show where um, this isn't a lot to do with Shawn Michaels, but yeah, he's still massively involved to the point where he winds uh, uh, mm-hmm. Bret Hart up. Um, but yeah, it was a a, a very well done uh, WWF package for me.
1: And then at the end of the package, of course, we're told that Shawn Michaels will be out at ringside for commentary Mm -hmm. for that main event match. I mean, you know, like you said, even back in these early days of the Attitude Era where things were really kicking off or maybe we should say re-kicking off uh, for the WWE coming back around, you know, because I feel like there's cycles, you know, WWE has these cycles where, they're very much popular and then they're they kind of fall out of popularity mm-hmm. and it goes back and forth and a lot of that i think has to do with how they're booking their talent how they're playing out these storylines um but e- even back in these early days of the attitude era they really did have a good um concept on how to build these packages to make them seem interesting and make you want to look into it matter of fact i feel like their packages are better than their overall storytelling in some cases, and this mm. is definitely one of those.
3: Yeah, <laughs> fully agreed. Um, so from there we go to uh, the first match of the night, which is Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk, and uh, this for me this was a really good opener. Um, there was a few spots missed and things like that, but it was still pretty good. Uh, what did you guys think of the opener?
1: I thought it was really good. It's it's very much the. Um, technical wrestler wrestler versus the high impact, high flyer trope of wrestling match that we've seen time and time again. Um, Like you said, there were some missed spots, but I'll be honest with you. Something about those missed spots, like for example, when Flash Funk goes to try and jump on that top rope and misses with one leg. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's sometimes when you have those missed spots that it's just, Oh, that's really bad. Somebody could have gotten hurt. But I feel like for some reason in this case, in this specific match, when that happened, it didn't detract from the match. It made it more realistic, kind of like... um When you go to a boxing match and a boxer goes to make a big swing and they miss or they don't hit exactly Mm. the right target that they mean to hit. You know, the other the competitor turns and they end up with a shot to the shoulder instead of into uh, right directly into uh, the jaw. So, you know, it wasn't so bad that it was like. Oh God, he completely missed it's it Like, okay, he's human. You know, it it kind of yeah. normalized it a little bit. I, I don't I'm one of those people that my wrestling doesn't have to be hundred percent perfectly pulled off all of the time. Yeah. And I feel like the that both Leaf Cassidy and Flash Funk in this match, they didn't make a big deal of it. You mm-hmm. know, they didn't overcorrect it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I feel like when you draw that much attention to it, whether it's on commentary or whether it's actually in the ring, it can make it feel a lot worse than it really is. They they recovered from it really well yeah. and kept going. And anytime that because I, I want to say that that wasn't the only thing that, that there was some missed opportunities or things that didn't get pulled off quite right in that match. But they played it off very, very well. They used it to their advantage uh, and it made it feel, you know, cause we all know this is, this is scripted. This is choreographed, you know, we're old enough to get this about this by now, but it made it, it gave it that little semblance of validity that this yeah. could be an actual fight between these two people and i appreciated that about this match but I, I i absolutely agree you know i wasn't expecting this much out of this match i wasn't expecting to be into it and it did kind of start off really slow but i found myself as the match went on enjoying it more and more and i think it was a great opener it was a great match to start the show with to get people excited
2: mm-hmm. yep yeah, totally agree um one thing that really stood out about this match uh for me though is is why it happened in the first place um there was no i mean usually pay-per-views are are made for uh matches that have have a storyline built into them um so you kind of get the blow off this this has had no storyline build whatsoever there was a uh, no real reason why these two would would be fighting on on a pay-per-view so i actually did a, a little bit of a look into why this was a, a pay-per-view match because it, it this, as good as it were, and I agree with everything ori said, uh, and, and you, Danny, that this was a great opener. Um, a really kind of a high-octane um, technical versus half-flier style match, which I really um, made for a good start to the pay-per-view. But um, I, it wasn't meant to be this match. This match was actually meant to have uh, some sort of kind of continuation of the, the Billy and Bart Gun storyline. Oh. Uh, wow. Where, where uh, Leaf and um, and uh, marty ginette were were meant to kind of be involved in that match uh, but mm-hmm. if you i uh, recall that the the uh, when leaf was coming out uh, it was mentioned that leaf wants to have a singles career um so what that means is that marty ginette had actually just been fired <laughs> <laughs> um so uh-huh. um,
1: see i missed that in the opener altogether and i didn't feel like this match needed a reason other than to potentially push Flash Funk because mm-hmm. he was on a roll. I, I This match, why I, I didn't question why it was happening, and that was okay. I, I feel like sometimes we over-explain, not no, not that, us oh, yeah, as I'm, fans, I, but like yeah. you know, within the you know, we always have to have a reason for a match. No, I, I don't think we do. We, you know, and that's that, you know, Leaf wants to have a singles career. That's fine, you know, but I don't think it. Added to or detracted from
2: the match in any oh, way. Oh no! I mean, for for the match, it made absolutely no difference. It, it was a solid, solid opener. It's just got a, an interesting uh, backstory. Um, so um, Marty had been fired um, because he and Leaf uh, had actually complained about a recent match that they, they'd been in. Um, so we know that the the guns are split up. Uh, Billy's turning heel. Uh so yep. uh, in a recent match what was meant to happen was that Billy walked out on Bart uh but Bart would beat the rockers by himself um so um Marte and and um and Leif both had an issue with it went to the Booker who was actually Jake Roberts at the time uh and asked why Bart would would win against the two and it was so it was said uh, from jake that this was so the guns didn't look like shit um <laughs> so al snow leave cast asked uh, jake i uh, said well what will that make us look like um jake didn't reply uh so after a little bit of a of a kind of a standoff they actually agreed uh to to lose to bart which which obviously we we saw happen a few weeks ago uh but neither of them was happy about it marty uh, got fired for kicking up a stink, and, and Leaf ended up becoming a dobber, I suppose. I mean, this match was still was still really good, but the reason why this was happening and not a uh, uh, Rockers versus uh, uh, Smoking Guns iteration was because uh, because they kicked off in backstage about having to do the job. Wow!
1: Honestly, that to me it makes sense. It does make sense because Leaf and Marty aren't really doing much anyway. (laughs) You know, there's no reason to build them at this point. So, and if you're trying to continue that storyline and you want to make Bart look good up against Billy, eventually, when that you know um, head-to-head match takes place, whether or not Bart's going to be losing it if you want to have him look strong that he can look like he can potentially beat Billy because that's Billy's whole shtick at this point is I won the titles. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, and I get, I get where Jannetty and and Al Snow are coming from. You don't want to look weak, you know, two guys against one, but for storyline purposes, as shitty as it is, it makes sense. And it you've,
2: you've also got to factor in the fact that Genetti has had a history of, of, of having issues. Uh, and well, leaving but that's the a company. whole
1: different bag of cookies. Well,
2: but, but it goes to show that maybe he he couldn't um he wouldn't be trusted with a, a long-term kind of push up up the card, and he he's, his role would always be to elevate um, somebody else in the feud, uh, and right. he, he wasn't happy with that, and obviously he he went his own way, and, and Al kind of had to sit and bear the brunt of it. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's,
1: that's the hard part, you know. It it really kind of makes me feel for anyone who's paired with someone like that. Like I get yeah. it, you want the big push, but. You know, if they don't view you that way, then you're not going to get it, you know. And if you're paired with somebody like that, who's constantly, you know, upset, arguing, you know, then if something like this does happen and they're fired, then you're you're probably going to be looked at. Well, his partner complained. Mm -hmm. We put them, you know, despite the fact that if the company put them together, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be viewed that same way until you you know, you're, you, you're proven that you can sit down, shut up and do the job, you know? I mean, you know, and that's my thing. Like if it makes sense story-wise, there's, you can complain all you want. There's not a problem with that, but you have to be prepared to see all sides of, you you can't just look at the main dish on the plate. You've got to look at the sides and everything. And that's the really weirdest thing about, this whole situation and this whole era of WWE is or WWF at the time, because you've got things that are happening where you've got multiple side dishes going on in the midst of the main, you know, the meat of the, the plate, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But then you have, you're complaining because you have people who aren't seeing the, the bigger picture, but then you have, other storylines going on where there's so many other side dishes involved it's hard to focus on Mm -hmm. that main portion of the course like I I don't freaking get it it's it's the dichotomy is mind-blowing it's Mm -hmm. mind-boggling like I, I, I don't even I don't know I don't know yep
2: but I mean to to get back to the match and 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 kind of uh, put a uh, a finality to it. I thought this was a great opener, um, and I agree with you, Ori about the the kind of like the the missed spots and the and the botches, adding a sense of realism to the fight rather it than be a, a choreographed dance. It, it looked like uh, an actual fight, and what really. Um, Peaked my interest was the way that uh, Flash Funk got the finish. I mean, we've been used to seeing him do that—that uh, that amazing kind of a uh, somersault leg drop. But he didn't even do that in this match. It was the 450 splash, which is mm. shows he can—he uh, can get a finish from absolutely anywhere. Um, mm. yeah, I think. Um, he was superb in this match. I think Leave Cassidy uh, kind of transitioning away from that uh half lane rockers uh gimmick to more of a technical wrestling. I mean, we see him doing um uh, belly to bellies and, and face muscles and stuff like that. Um yeah, I think I think this is a better position for both guys. Mm,
3: definitely, especially considering where they are on the card. Mm-hmm. Um one thing I did notice about this match as well was that there was a small flash chant as well, but Other than that, the crowd kind of just was meh
0: about it. (laughs)
4: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Promotional
0: consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's Lemonade. .net. but um, from there,
3: we go for the tag team title match, which is uh fake razor and fake diesel versus Owen Hart and bulldog um this match just i mean if you talk about crowd reaction to me this this was dead, but uh, what did you guys think
2: yeah i i I totally agree, I think what kind of confused me was um diesel and razor. Uh, inverted comers have, haven't had the best of runs uh, since their introduction into the company, so mm. I don't get how they have, have made their way to the number one contender spot. But it's also um, a heel versus heel dynamic as well, because mm. Owen Hart is is definitely a heel. I mean, Bulldog is is still on the heel side, but we're seeing kind of yep. almost like a um, a face turn with him and and the Austins and uh, stuff. But this just. It felt a little bit confused. Mm. Um, like there were so many elements in it that it's almost like they threw as much shit at the wall to see what would stick. I mean, there's a point where uh we see uh two uh triple A wrestlers. I think it's uh Sibonecticor and um Piroff, uh, uh come to, to get involved, and then obviously Austin. I mean, this won't be the first mm. time, uh the last time we see him. Um And he gets involved. I mean, the 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 inside of the the stuff that happened in the ring wasn't that bad, and it's probably the best we've seen of of Diesel and razors in this kind of new iteration. Mm. Obviously, uh, Owen uh, can always have a great match with anybody, in, and Bulldog is certainly no slouch when it comes uh, to uh, to his ring work. But yeah, it just felt confused to me. Mm. Um mm. Like, uh, they were trying to uh, sow more seeds of, of storylines that, that needed to be. I think if they sim- uh, kind of simplified it a little bit, we may have got a, a, a much better match. But saying that, I don't think it was a bad match, uh, surprisingly, to, considering two of the
3: players in there uh, uh, at this time in the careers not good. Hmm, definitely. Um, just before we go to Ori, I just want to say, did you catch um, Jim Ross's line about uh, W in this match? Go on. Jim Ross says, and I quote, they're not, regarding uh, fake Razor and fake Diesel, they're not bold or 45 or have artificial body parts, which yeah. is referring to yes. yes. uh, Roddy Piper's artificial <laughs> hip. But yeah, <laughs> I, I knew I was waiting for that um, W thing. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you think, Ori?
1: I thought once we actually got to the meat of the match and stopped having all these seeds that we're planting and sowing and, and trying to expand upon, once all that was out of the way, it was good. It was a decent match. You know, I, I thought Razor and Diesel looked fairly decent. Owen and Davey Boy always looked great, just about. Um, There's very few exceptions to that. I mean, first of all, we get these guys come in from AAA, which was shocking to me because I never knew that WWF had any type of working relationship with AAA. And more than likely, now, Mags, you'll have to correct me on this, had WCW started that working relationship with New Japan at that point? Um
2: not not quite yet. Uh it was certainly in the works or uh but this wasn't uh a new thing for, for WF at this time. Uh when it gets to usually around Royal Rumble time, you'll see a smattering of uh of foreign talent coming. Usually they use um Carlos Colon's uh group at uh over um, C, C, CWC, uh, but you usually see some CMLL guys come in, uh, but it's only like over the last, uh, between 95 and 96, where A have been involved in the in rumble. It's, it's usually made to bulk out that uh, that Royal Rumble um, 30-man match.
1: And that, that makes sense. I mean... But it, it just blows my mind that they had these type of relationships when they're so hesitant to do it now. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, they now have large rosters with both Raw and SmackDown. And now they have NXT that they can pull from or they have for the last, what, eight years, give or take. So it's not super surprising. But at the same token, it's like you've had these working relationships before without having to buy out an entire company to build your roster. Why, why is that not possible now? And it is, but Vince doesn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. He, he feels like he should be the be all end all. And there's lots of people I'm sure in his company that feel that same way, you know, they want to be the number one spot for sports entertainment. And I get that, but that's part of what made the territory so good was mm. having other people from other territories come in and compete against your wrestlers. And I think that's why, you know, ring of honor and new Japan have done so well in the last couple of years. Why AEW is doing so well with having their working relationships with AAA, And I believe they also had one with CM, uh, CMLL for a hot minute. And mm. Um, now trying to further those or reestablish and reaffirm those relationships with New Japan and other companies because it just puts more eyes on both products. You know, you get those crossover fans, people who are diehard Ring of Honor fans are going to watch New Japan. You know, diehard New Japan fans are going to watch AEW and vice versa. So it, it just, it makes more sense You know, you don't have to buy out and take over an entire company to make this work. It can be beneficial for everybody. But Vince doesn't want that. He only wants it to be beneficial for him. I'm sorry. That's my soapbox. It pisses me (laughs) off. But, yeah, we got the CMLL guys and we got, you know, um, information that they would be. Yeah, AAA guys. What did I say?
2: (laughs) CMLL. They're mortal enemies.
1: (laughs) (sighs) You knew who I meant. We got the AAA guys out there and found out that they were going to be a part of the Royal Rumble. And then later on, we get um, Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out who and attacks a British Bulldog. And they just go at it until they have to be ripped apart. And the thing that got me about that, like, I get it. There, there's already something going on there because of past actions. But Owen Hart just stands in the corner and says, focus on the match. Focus on the match. Really?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I, I mean, I know there's some type of, I guess, understanding between Hart and Austin, but still, like, I would be over there, come on, man, come on, man, focus on the something, other than just standing in the ring corner at the ring post, waiting to get tagged in, I, I don't know. I have a big problem with all of it. I Like, I feel like they could have left the AAA guys to do what they did, Maybe tease Stone Cold around the ring. Have do not have them match up at all, and then still what do do what they did at the end? Davy Boy and Owen Hart retain, and then Austin comes back out, chops chop blocks the knee, and takes him out. I think that would have worked a lot better. Continued that little seed of storyline without disrupting from the whole match. Mm -hmm. But outside, like once we got past the whole. Austin and Davy Boy situation and got into the meat of the, maybe I'm hungry. I keep talking about food. I think I should have eaten before this podcast. There's there's lots of food references today, Uh, but I think if, if they would have done that and, and left, left the chop block at the end when they were celebrating in, it would have gone over a lot better because once we got past all that, I really felt like this was a good match. It was a decent match. It was worth watching.
2: Yeah, you are certainly right, and, and the 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 Austin and Owen stuff it it, it can be a little bit confusing if you are uh, if you aren't fully aware of, if you've like been missing rows, but essentially their their relationship is they are enemies who have a common enemy, so they're coming together. That common enemy being Bret Hart. Uh, Bulldog is uh he's kind of. Um, st- Siding with Brett almost in in terms of kind of saving him from Austin uh, because enough's enough. I think he said that uh, in a in a confrontation with Austin earlier. But the the weird kind of um um almost issue between the tag champs is that Owen is never coming to save uh Bulldog. He's letting Austin uh, hit him with chairs. He's letting Austin beat him down, and he's only getting involved once that beatdown is over. So it's showing there's chinks in the armor of these uh these tag team champions um but you're right and to continue the the um the food uh puns um i think they're milking this storyline and it's getting a little bit cheesy now
3: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, what did you think about that pin that uh, davie bowes uh i've never seen that before in my life <laughs> The, he, he, was, he kind of did. You see the way he pinned the fake it, Razor?
2: It was, it was an attempt at a roll
3: up, I think, mm.
2: Mm.
3: <laughs> but a, a bad attempt. <laughs> yeah. But um, straight from there, we go backstage where we see the Nation on of Domination on a very 1996 laptops here. Um, Jesus Christ!
2: This <laughs> this was horrid. Nobody in that group of the Nation Domination looked like they had any clue. What was going on? The two uh, Eminem wannabes were just smiling, laughing, and throwing up hand signals. Farouk was nodding a lot. Um, Yeah, it was
3: ridiculous. I've got a fun question for both of you. What do you think was on their screen? What were they? I was was going to say googling, but Google wasn't there. What were they on AOL? Uh, What were they searching? Sunny. Yeah. I mean,
1: she's the most searched woman on the internet.
3: Probably. The, the Sunny and Sable. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> don't, just I, don't look I think
1: they were blank. I don't even th- I think they were made to look like they were plugged in, <laughs> and there was nothing actually there.
3: But I'm just glad it, it the King was. was just, no, go on. I was, was, was going to say. say um, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, just don't look at the King's uh, internet history at Ooh. that night.
2: <laughs> he definitely uses incognito mode a lot. Um, but yeah, the, the He's segment... the
1: reason incognito mode was made, because he nobody wants to yeah. see that. <laughs> no, I, I think somebody saw it by accident and went, nope, yeah. uh, we got to make yeah, a mode just for him.
2: This segment went way too long for me. Uh, I get going backstage and showing kind of like a bit of reality of what goes on. But the camera lingered on this group for way, way too long um, to the point where it, it got awkward. It felt mm. awkward. Yeah. Uh, and then we obviously then go on to uh, Vince in the ring. And I understand it was because Vince had to leave the, the commentary booth and yeah. get, uh, get set up in the ring. So you, you're feeling for time. But modern day Well, Kevin not only Bunk- that,
1: not only that, you've got to get... Because Clarence Mason is part of the nation of domination as well, but he mm-hmm. was already at ringside with Davey boy and Owen yep. because he's part of that as well. So it's, it's a combination of probably both of those things trying to get Clarence Mason backstage, get him with the nation of domination, then also get nation of domination in place and where they need to be, get those mics set up, get Vince off of commentary and into the ring. It, it's a lot of moving parts. And mm-hmm. I think, You know, this day and age, the way that things are, this match with that segment would not have been right behind each other.
2: No. And and what would have made it easier is if uh, if months and months ago, Clarence Mason didn't force Jim Cornette on his deathbed to sign those contracts over.
1: (laughs) Cornette probably in his head thought he was on his deathbed, let's be honest.
3: (laughs) But uh, regarding this um, this in ring interview, all I can say is thank Christ for WWE Network subtitles because I couldn't understand a thing. Armah Johnson was saying, <laughs> but I will um,
1: say the subtitles, the the closed captioning was a little problematic at some point. Oh yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm kind of with you.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs> um, how, but, how, yeah. how did? Did wrestling affect his life though? He's lost his home. He lost his car. He lost his his girlfriend. He lost his girlfriend. He's lost his marbles. He's lost his faculties.
1: I don't know if he had those before, but he's still got that big gold chain around his neck. So he can't be doing too bad.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: But he has no life. His life is over. His life was over when he started wrestling because he does it for the fans. I will say, you know, as cheesy and kind of goofy as that was, in a way, it was still kind of endearing and sweet. I, I don't know why, but I think it really helped to put the fans behind him, because in this whole interaction, the the thing that gets the biggest reaction is him starting that chant at the end,
2: which felt cringy though.
1: It did, but it. But at the same time,
2: you're going down. You're going did down. Did you hear
1: how quick the audience yeah. picked up on it though? So I think that was a good thing because it showed that the fans still were behind Ahmed Johnson. They still, you know, despite some of his retaliation against Farouk that could potentially make him look like a heel, it firmly solidified Farouk in that heel position. And it firmly solidified that the fans were behind Ahmed Johnson. They did still want to see this match. And that he was still the face, and so mm-hmm. while it, it it's all kind of cringy to a point, it worked. It did what it needed to do, and it affirmed some things for the WWF at that time about that potential matchup. Because I think if that that whole segment would have gone over much much worse, we never would have seen this.
3: Yeah,
1: we never w- we wouldn't get that matchup. We wouldn't have a continuation of that storyline.
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And uh, so from there we go to uh, Mark Miro versus Hunter Hurst Helmsley. And uh, to me, this was the match of the night, but um, I'm really interested in hearing your guys' thoughts, uh, especially uh, regarding that uh, video package as well, which was uh, really well done. Um, what did you guys think of this match?
1: It was well done, but it was done out of order. Because if I remember correctly, You know, so they show the whole thing where Hunter enlists Mister Perfect, Kurt Hennig, and then he dismisses his servant. And I was like, "Wait a minute! Didn't that happen before Hennig turned on Marrow?"
2: It did, but but okay,
1: good. I wasn't like my memory's not the greatest, but in
2: real life, uh, Kurt had left the company by now, so they had to kind of like. Uh, massage the 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 facts to fit they, around. They had to get living. some.
1: They had to take some creative yeah. license. But but what revisionist thing is, one th- history that WWF yeah. is so good with.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> one one thing this this video package did show is uh the, the bit that happened before we actually started uh this whole uh, journey through the Attitude Era, uh, and that's the the part where um Hunter actually brings. Uh, sable into the company it's mark mayer who does the the saving that happened i think just before uh king of the ring um so we kind of missed that little bit of a of uh addition to the story i mean we know about it obviously uh but yeah again another really well done video package for me uh even though they did kind of massage the truth to make it fit
1: no, you don't say. <laughs> but overall, the package was good. This is where I had problems with uh, the closed captioning because they kept calling him Mark Merrill <laughs> instead of Mark marrow
2: M e r r i l l.
1: How did I pick? Because
2: I always watch with closed. No, captions. no. How did they not pick up on that? I mean, obviously, somebody <laughs> goes back to caption the shows uh, afterwards. How did they not pick up on the captioning?
1: I have no idea.
3: I think like, they retired off the is just- This
1: is my thought process, okay? <laughs> and and I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. The regular closed captioner was out sick that day, so they brought in someone who had no knowledge of the company, had no idea what was going on, because there were a lot of things that were said, especially towards um, the beginning of the championship match or the, the end of the Undertaker match. Um, the Armageddon match that were not closed captioned at all. There was a lot of skips in there. Granted, there's, as there is normally with a, with a WWE show, there was a lot of talking over quickly, you know, back and quick back and forth type, you know, conversation. And so it's kind of hard to get all that out very quickly and type that out, but it's like, Really? <laughs> but yeah, it's it said Merrill it, repeatedly. At no point did I ever see the closed captions actually say Mero, M E R O. Yeah. And so my my, my thought head cannon as you were is that it the the regular closed captioner for WWE was out sick that day.
3: Um, also, there was a really good line from Jim Ross again when, uh, just at the start of this match, when Hunter and Mark uh, went up against each other face to face. Jim Ross blurted out the line are nose to nose, which gives, Helm, gives Helmsley the, the advantage. Obviously, taking a piss out of his uh, large nose there. But um,
1: oh, I thought that's not the one that I thought you were going to come out with. I thought you oh. were going to say talk about um, how he was asking Vince if they were neighbors in Greenwich. Oh yes. Like, yeah. well, maybe they are now.
3: Maybe <laughs> not at this point, but they're going to be soon. Said his, um, his best to nose so all that. I noticed. I mean, just. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It is a big schnoz.
3: Mm. I've seen it so in person.
1: Mean. It's it's a very, he has a very prominent profile. We'll put it that way. With his pomposity.
3: Definitely. But um, as as we get into the match, we see a Goldust run in here with, uh, I mean, probably this was the best use of Goldust that I've seen. Uh, and during uh, these couple of weeks I've been watching, I think he looked really strong here. What did you guys think of Goldust running?
1: So we do have to kind of take it back a little bit because Mm. apparently there was a match on the pre-show. Hunter Hearst Helmsley came out, said something to Marlena. Marlena got very offended. Nobody knows what he said. So apparently this is what prompted Goldust to come out at one point during the match. Uh, uh, Triple H had gone. They had knocked out Earl Heppner and Helmsley had gone for the belt, brought it into the ring. Mero and... Recovers, they tussle for a moment with Hebner down, and then they both end up on the outside with the belt in the ring. Goldust comes in, grabs it, attempts to hit Triple H, who ducks it. Goldust ends up hitting Marrow by accident, but then turns around and hits his intended target of... Hunter Hearst Helmsley, then drops the belt, walks back out. I can't disagree with you. It made sense. They built up and gave us enough information for anyone who missed the pre-show to justify Gold Dust coming out here. It was a quick in and out and done. He came out, did what he needed to do, and turned around and walked out. There wasn't a whole lot of lingering. I... Mm. I I didn't dislike it at all. I thought Gold Dust looked great. I thought it was very strong of him. He didn't jabber jaw. He didn't, you know, hey, you've got more of that coming, or you know, don't you ever speak disabled like that again? Blah, 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 blah. You know, there wasn't all that jaw jacking and stuff like that. He came in, took him out, turned around, and left. And I think that was the perfect usage of interrupting a match, so to speak, without distracting completely from the match that they've done in quite,
2: quite a while. Mm, I agree with you. Uh, I think it it absolutely made sense. But my uh, issue with it is that uh, after the opener, it happens in every single match we yeah. get we get interference and it's 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 almost diminishing returns when you go to the well so many times uh but in this match it certainly did make sense and I, one thing i really did enjoy uh was uh, we get the kind of start of that uh, that love hate relationship between uh, Triple H and and Earl Hebner in in this where oh. uh, um, <laughs> Earl
1: Trips Paul tra- Hebner,
3: oh. yeah,
2: uh- uh, Triple <laughs> tries to kind of intimidate Earl. Earl's like pointing to his back, saying, "Look, I'll throw the match out. I'm the referee. Respect me." And then there's a, a part where we're doing an, uh, an abdominal stretch and uh, Hunter keeps grabbing the ropes, and we get uh, the Earl kicking the, the arm of the ropes. Just um, something they'll revisit time and time again throughout, um, throughout the career. But I thought that was a, a cool little kind of
3: throwback. Definitely. Um, I just want to say one thing about the Earl Hebner Triple H thing. This obviously would go on until Earl Hebner left the company in 2005. But I hate this because... I grew up playing those uh WWF games and WWE games on PlayStation, and they always they teach you from a young age referees are just subhuman, they're just nothing, just and when <laughs> and obviously watching two thousand two early two thousands referees are just disposable, so any time a referee gets I mean, he, he was dominating Triple H at one point. He was really, Triple H was cowering to him, and I really didn't like that. But it, Especially um, when he forced him into the corner, and Triple H yeah.
2: actually literally sat down
3: on oh, the corner. I couldn't corner. believe it. Yeah. I, I thought uh, Triple H was definitely <laughs> going to get a revenge, but no, it was he's just scared of uh, El Hebner over here. Mm-hmm. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of convoluted because, you know, on the one hand, Triple H seemed like, through And they even make mention of it, that he's trying to get himself disqualified so that he doesn't lose the belt. But on the same hand, he's afraid of Ker- Earl Hebner because Earl might disqualify him or come after him. I don't know. I think I think there's good ways to play with the referee because I do think referees are important. Um And I think that's why I enjoy Aubrey Edwards so much is because she has a way of making herself feel important and vital to the match without completely detracting from it. And I know that there's a lot of people who will absolutely disagree with that. Mags looks like he's one of them.
2: But I think... I I like Aubrey Edwards. I just think she overacts sometimes um, to the point of ridiculousness.
1: But part of me kind of enjoys that because watching her reactions for me, it shows that she's just as much of a fan of what's happening Mm. as we are, you know, Mm. and, and I get that some of it is overacting, but I understand why she does it on TV. It may come across as overacting and campy, but when you're in a stadium so large, the reason, one of the reasons why, theater versus television is you act two very different ways is because when you are in a theater, you want to project your voice and overact your motions because you want the person in the very back row to be able to see what you're doing. Versus on television, you have a camera sometimes right up on you. So you can make those tiny minuscule Uh, actions, whether it's with your face or with your eyebrows or with the flick of a wrist that a camera will pick up that a theater would not. And so Mm -hmm. I I get why she's doing it. She's doing it for the benefit of the live crowd. But I I get why people who typically watch via television think it's too much. You get what I'm saying? But I guess as someone who did a lot of theater growing up, I can see that, and and I also did extra work. I I had I had an agent. I was planning on becoming an actress at one point, so I, I get the dichotomy, and I understand where she's coming from and why she's doing what she's doing.
2: Don't make me get the monocle out. <laughs>
1: Why would you need the monocle?
2: <laughs> oh, I was an actor.
3: <laughs> no,
1: no, it's not like that. <laughs> I was an actor. No, I'm just saying I under—I I have this human experience that I understand and can share. Yeah, God, it's not me bragging. If I was bragging, I'd be like, "Well, you With know, a little back bit in of the brag. day, I won an award for my acting." <laughs> Which I did, actually, but that's an interviewer there.
2: (laughs) But totally not bragging.
1: (laughs) You know what? I will brag because I did damn good in that show. And I was very proud of it. I was very proud. And that was the first year I was ever with that that company. No, I'm not going to reel it in. You can make the fishing (laughs) motions all you want. I am very proud of what I did.
3: (laughs) One well, ne- well, thing that-
2: Next episode, uh- she's going to do an Owen Hart. Come out with her Slammy awards, <laughs> you <right, walking laughs> around. I am not a nugget.
1: <laughs> I should. Where's my damn award? Is it in the closet? I'm going to go pull it out of the closet just so you can see it. Eight, seven, six.
0: This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShop.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShop.com.
3: One thing that won't win an award was the finish of this match, which was, uh, I mean, I'm never a fan of uh, cheap finishes on pay-per-views. What did you uh, think of uh, this finish?
2: Yeah, I mean, Ori uh, really explained it um, uh, really well with the with the gold dust star uh, coming out. Um, I never get the point of a of a wrestler when he's going for a title, um, not throwing his opponent back into hmm. the ring. It made no sense. Uh, so obviously that means that Mark wins the match, but doesn't come away with the title. But what that kind of leads to is um, a frustrated. Uh, Mark Miro uh mm-hmm. and the the hint maybe of a of a of a heel turn because when um, sable and, and Earl go to raise his arms he's, he's like no I'm not happy about this. Uh, and then uh, to kind of show his frustration he, he hits the wild thing which he wasn't able to hit earlier in the match. Mm-hmm. Um so it makes sense if if we are going down the path of uh Mark Miro uh becoming a heel but yeah mm-hmm. I don't like uh schmozzy finishes like this
3: definitely and uh from there we go from to a uh very good in my opinion anyway a good Sid Vicious interview with uh Michael Hayes aka Doc Entrance it was good but too quiet
1: mm, yes mm. the audio was shit for this Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and and I don't know if I should blame it on the audio um Producer, whomever was working the audio, I don't know if I should blame it on the mics at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I should blame it on Michael Hayes, who didn't get the microphone close enough to his face. Mm. Like, that that's another one of those TV versus theater type things where, like, I get what he's well, doing. You won
2: an award.
1: No, I, I get what he's trying to Back do. Back in my
2: day, I won an God award it, for my nags. mic
1: work. <laughs> Screw you, Mags. Where's Tanner? <laughs> bring Tanner back. We're going to kick <laughs> you off and just bring Tanner back. Good God. No, I get what he's trying to do with the inflection of his voice, but because the mic, the the, the actual portion that picks up his voice is down at his chest, mm-hmm. it's not able to pick up that, infle- that soft inflection that he's intending. It would have made more sense for... And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but for Sid to grab the mic from Hayes, even if it's mm. still in Hayes' hand, grab his whole freaking hand, mm. bring it up closer to his mouth so that we can catch that softer, menacing inflection that he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. It, it, it wasn't a bad interview, but because the audio missed that, even though we knew it was going on, like the closed captioning didn't pick it up at all. And so you really it would have made more sense for him to grab Michael Hayes whole hand and just I'm going to get right up on the mic and I'm going to menacingly inflect my voice. You know, that kind of thing. So yep,
0: definitely. It, it really
1: kind of uh, it kind of made the 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 whole thing shit the bed for me.
2: Yeah, hmm. and 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 Sid has got this reputation of being terrible in in live interviews. I mean, everybody knows about the uh, "I've got half the brains that you do" interview, or the the one where he tried to redo a live interview with Jim Ross. But one thing he's really really good at is is that loud shouting intensity, and then takes it all the way down to to almost a whisper but be more intense than he was when he shouted. It's such a great kind of a character work. And when he stiffens his, his upper lip so it's almost dead straight and he's, and he's saying, I'm the ruler, master of the world. Yeah, he can sell that he is an absolute killer.
1: And it's not even that his lip is straight, like his lips don't move. His teeth don't move. It's almost like a ventriloquist act. And that's why I think that the closed captioning didn't pick it up because it's straight up. His mouth ain't hardly moving. Those teeth ain't moving. They are clenched tight. But it's it's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's really a shame that the audio didn't pick it up the way that it was intended, because it was phenomenal. It really, really was those those, I don't want to say dichotomy again. I need a somebody needs to get me a thesaurus. I need more words, but that, that influx. I do words that, good. Right? But that, that, um, I can't even think of the word that I'm looking for, but the. The the
2: word's dichotomy. It,
1: it is, it really is. But I know there's another word that I can use, but that, that vast difference in influx of tone It's amazing character work, and it works for him very, very well when he gets it right. And if the audio would have picked it up, it would have been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal.
3: Definitely. It could have been his best interview ever. (laughs) But uh, something uh, that we've all been dreading, to be honest with you, is next is uh, The Undertaker versus The Executioner Mm -hmm. in a Armageddon Rules match. Uh, I think this is the only Armageddon Rules match that ever appeared.
2: I wonder why. So <laughs> essentially, for people who, who haven't watched this show yet or who haven't heard of an Armageddon rules match, it's a last-man-standing match, but with a pin before it, essentially. Or a submission. Yeah, or a submission. Basically, they go, there's no disqualifications, there's
1: no count-outs, but the opponent has to be pinned or submitted, and then once that happens they have to the count of 10 to get up. So yeah, it's it's very much a last man standing type match with a pin. I think mm-hmm. the premise of the match is really good. And it's surprising that they didn't bring it back with you know the Armageddon pay-per-view. But the way they pulled it all off went over like a turd in a punch bowl. Like mm-hmm. it, it was horrific. I don't even know how else to explain it. And I think some of that not only has to do with some of the things that the the went down in the match, but I also think that it had to do with the way some of the things were shot in the match for those of us at home. the The camera work was terrible. Oh, they're going somewhere where we can't go with cameras, but all of a sudden there's a camera out on the outside,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you can see. Taker throwing execute. So outside let me let me set this up for you. We get a couple of shots of the outside of this arena, right? And it looks like you know what it reminds me of. Y'all may not get this, but our American viewers may. If you go to Disney World and they have the carousel of progress, which is essentially a stage show with animatronics and you sit down and the stage itself never moves. You do, you rotate around through different eras from the past, how technology has shaped the past into the present and how it can shape us into the future. It's literally one of my favorite rides at Disney world. I don't know why, but I love the idea of this, this ride, but the outside is shaped like a dome that is set down into a basin. And mm-hmm. so they take, taker essentially takes executioner they go up the ramps and they go outside and then outside of this weird inverted triangle is almost like a levee it slants down and there's like a pond or some type of water feature I think it or a fountain yeah yeah there's a fountain on one side and then there it, it almost looks like there's a bay behind them or it goes out into the gulf maybe something like that So Undertaker takes him outside. They're looking at the doors, going outside. There's fans running outside to see what's going on. And then all of a sudden the camera that they have shooting outside to give you an outside view of the arena pans over and Taker is throwing executioner down this concrete ramp to the water feature and throws him in. Meanwhile, in the ring, mankind has come out at some point point. And then they send security out and they start macing him. And from nowhere comes a straight jacket that they tie <laughs> it got, him into. It
2: got, it got ridiculous. Absolutely. It was
1: absolutely ridiculous. It was the mm. nuttiest thing. Like, I, I don't even, like, I get it. It's mankind. He's done some crazy stuff in Japan. He can, quote unquote, take the mace, you know, Technically, if that's what they were actually spraying, I'm assuming that they've made it sound like they sprayed the middle twice.
2: I bloody well hope it wasn't real mess. Look, Mick, this is gonna sting a little right.
1: Bit. But at the same time, can you say can you not see Mick Foley going, just spray the mace? It'll be fine.
2: I, mean, I, I had my ear ripped
1: him. off. It it'll be fine. <laughs> I've lost my teeth. It's gonna be fine. The mace is nothing. You know, I've been in a barbed wire rope match where the ring explodes. Like, this mm-hmm. this is nothing.
2: <laughs> it, it, it puts and especially, on cereal.
1: Especially in comparison to the things that we go on and see Mick Foley do. Like, I can see Mick Foley going straight up, yeah, just hit me with the mace. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Just have some milk on standby. It'll be fine.
2: Yeah. But uh, we spoke earlier about how um, the, the interferences in the matches gets a little bit... Um diminishing returns. This mm. match needed the interference. You can mm. tell. Absolutely. Terry Gordy was not in the best uh best of shape, obviously having uh real issues with uh with uh his um his Dalliances uh in his in his uh, former career. Um Taker um did his best to carry the match, but it needed Mankan to be involved because that was mm. what the main feud was about. It was about Paul Bear and Mankan execution, it was just uh, a tool to keep this this feud going. Um, but the match was—it was just daft. I mean, we get to the point where we're using Mankind as essentially as a wrecking ball to destroy the set up at the the, the top of the ramp, as Ori explained. Uh, we get the the out outside padding shot of an uh, executioner rolling down a concrete hill into a puddle. We get we get security guards who all have the same T-shirt on, mm. uh, looking professional, but all with with uh, kind of Zubaz uh, pants, which looks just ri- ridiculous. Man can't get him messed. Put in a straight jacket. Do the security guards have the authority to put someone in a straight jacket? What the hell is going on there? Uh, and eventually, we get Undertaker coming back to to hit the tombstone and 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 get the win. So in terms of Actual wrestling. There was there was nothing. There was nothing yeah. in this match at all. Probably a minute and a half of wrestling. It was all just filler to kind of stretch it out, to keep the storyline with Mankind and Undertaker going, and to uh, essentially just throw poor Terry Gordy into a freezing cold <laughs> puddle of water. Ridiculous. Mm, but fun. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it because of yeah. that ridiculousness.
1: I can't say the same. (laughs) I wanted, I really wanted to, and I was, to me, it was, it was bad, ridiculous. It wasn't funny, ridiculousness. Like, for example, the exploding bar bar match between Moxley and Omega, that was ridiculousness that I could laugh at, especially towards the end. And I know a lot of people had uh, issues with that end, you know, but I could laugh at it, I could see through it, but this was not it. Not for me. You know, uh, I, I get why you would find that hilarious, because you're a very strange and unhinged individual. But... <laughs>
2: wow. Sorry I haven't won a Tony Award for my performance on Broadway.
1: Well, neither have I.
2: <laughs> Yet. No, that'll never Just happen. Just Tony nominated. No never will
1: happen but you know I, I can understand why you would see it that way because it was it was ridiculous to the point of absurdity but I wasn't to the point of enjoying it for its ridiculousness. I was just like this is it's it's too much of one thing and not enough of something else mm-hmm. and, and I think you know the the discussions that we've had about you know the undertaker, Mankind's Storing line being a, a payoff in reverse, um, it really this very much lent to that that thought process where the bigger matches happened in the beginning and now they're pairing down. Mm-hmm. And if it because I don't have the you know the 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 future knowledge of knowing where this goes, if it's cooling it down to a point to where it can be built back up, then yes, I'm here for it. I'm all for it. I don't see that at this point. I kind of hope for it because otherwise none of this makes sense. It's, it's, ugh. I don't like it. Oh, and I set off my Alexa by accident.
2: She's telling the results of the next pay per view. That's bad. Okay, I guess. Look, this storyline doesn't go anywhere, Ori.
1: And it's absolute shit. Why are you watching this? Because I have to. <laughs>
3: I think there was um, a good point made uh, when I was reading uh, some bits about this as well. It seemed that like they tried to copy uh, Roddy Piper Goldust, Hollywood Backstreet Brawl earlier in the year at WrestleMania, mm. but failed miserably here. I mean, just... Yeah. Yeah, very, just... very miserable. <laughs> but uh, something that didn't fail, well, it, maybe it did, was uh, this Bret Hart interview. And it was very telling because uh, halfway halfway during the interview, Shawn Michaels' music plays, and I think you, Bret Hart is really pissed off. But I couldn't tell if he was working or shooting there. But it, it felt it, real. That yes, definitely. And that to me was WWF 1996 slash 1997 in a nutshell, where Bret Hart's given a good interview only to be interrupted by the heartbreak. Kid. Uh, what did you think of this interview?
2: Yeah. Um... It it felt like it was starting as a typical Bret Hart interview. Um, He he tends to say a lot of the same things, run through his catchphrases, uh, but when that Shawn Michaels music hit, he went off. Um, He was fuming, Mm. absolutely fuming. Um, So I I think there was a little bit of shooting this because Mm. clearly we're getting to the point where these two I really have a have backstage heat they really have like a a personal uh rivalry um so yeah I, th- I think it was um very 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 much a real thing and i think this is the era where russo's getting a little bit more kind of leeway uh with his booking um so he kind of lacks that um uh reality based stuff where uh you get an instant reaction so it wouldn't surprise me at all if if he has set that up Uh, because they could have easily brought out uh, Shawn Michaels in between the matches, uh, but not to have him come out during that interview. Yeah. It it pissed Brett off Mm. royally. Mm.
1: So here's my thing. Okay. And this is just me spitballing here. What if it wasn't Shawn saying hit the music specifically to piss Brett off? What if it was stone cold? Because it makes sense in the fact that Stone Cold has this beef with Bret Hart and part of Stone Cold's bitching has been, you're coming out here interrupting my interviews. You're asking me about so-and-so, Bret Hart, when it's my interview time. You're going to their house, but you got to fly me all the way to Connecticut to do an interview, but you can interview them at home. You know, furthering... Because we got to remember, while Stone Cold is not technically on this card at all, he's still a major player in this whole Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart situation. So it would almost, in my head, make more sense to be like, Stone Cold just happens to be sitting in the sound booth. Like, okay, yeah, you got Br- Michaels music queued up. Yeah, what wh- what button is that again? Okay, Pssh. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I get the the tension between Hart and and Shawn Michaels. I think it's there. It does feel very real. But it also would make sense to have Stone Cold initiate that to cause them the same type of problems that he's been having. Now, granted, this is in my own head. I don't know that any of this is real. But it would make sense to to work it. That way, especially because since later on, we get stolen cold coming out and again, chop blocking a leg this time to Owen Hart. It it just, I don't know, some of it makes sense. But the thing that really caught me about this whole situation is that once we get visual on Shawn Michaels and he comes out, he has the scruffy, short, trimmed beard. We haven't seen Shawn Michaels like that before. And I think that... I think that was an indication of him turning heel officially. And of course his actions at the very end of the match definitely solidified his heel status and him going heel. So, but I think, I think that's one of those visual cues that WWE does that nine times out of 10, your baby face is going to be clean shaven. Your heel is going to have, it's almost like a mask. You know, they're, they're hiding something, they're hiding their kindness, they're hiding their, their intentions behind a mask. And whether it's paint or whether it's a beard or whether or not it's a full grown beard closer to what you have, Danny, or something shorter, shorter crop like Mags has, it, it's a visual choice to try and trick your brain into this may not be a good guy. Not saying that you guys aren't good guys. Well, Max isn't. He's terrible. But
2: <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, but funny. but you do make a good point. Um, one thing I, I noticed, um, if I was a fan uh, and a kid back in, in in this era, who am I actually meant to root for in this whole situation? Brett is uh is obviously uh showing heel like tendencies, especially with the stuff with Austin recently. Um You've got Sid, who was a face and is now with the Jose Lothario stuff showing heel art tendencies. You've already made a great point. Shawn Michaels comes out with a beard. He's been a douchebag on commentary. Um, he's a heel. Austin is clearly still a heel, although he's kind of transitioning to that kind of cool heel. And then you get uh, Owen and Bulldog coming out, um, who are also heels. This was full of heels. There was no real kind of face to, to cheer for in this match, which for me, made it really um, interesting. But I can see as a fan where you could be confused at, w- at what was actually going on.
3: Definitely. I mean, from there we go to, as you said, the uh, World Out match, Bret Hart versus Cycle Sid. Um, yeah, it's been pretty much covered. I mean, just Shawn Michaels comes out on commentary, just being, doing Shawn Michaels things. Um I did. One thing I did like about this match was Bret Hart working the back throughout the entire match to yeah. obviously play into his finisher. But uh, as a match, what did you guys think of this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think one thing that Bret Hart does really well is focus on body parts mm. and. Uh, we we've we see it all the way through his career that he's so good at, at, at singling out a certain body part and, and really telling a story in a match even with a, a, a wrestler uh, who may be a little bit more rudimentary in terms of technical skill like that's like cities um and again we get that um that interference uh but kind of like the, the, the man car match this made sense because there were so many kind of um, roles in play and so many kind of like feuds going on between the, between all the players. It actually made sense for for Austin to to come out. He's been a douchebag all of the show. He's done uh, the, the whatever he can to kind of ruin Bret Hart's comeback uh, to, to the WWF. Um, And and then obviously Bulldog still has his issue with him. uh, Mm. So it makes sense for, uh, for, for that to be going on. But, the match is is nothing to write home about certainly not the best match on the card and uh certainly not brett's um uh best match but it did what it needed to do it it got sid um uh out of the show with the with the towel it furthered that feud with brett and sean michael because obviously uh brett essentially uh sean essentially cost him the cost him the 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 towel um and it also kind of um uh, hints at further feuds, the the kind of uh, the path facing that Sid does with with Shawn Michaels, and Sean is is um, eager to get involved if it um, affects Brett, but it kind of looks like he's scared of Sid, mm. um, so he's, he's maybe not as willing to get involved in in that way. Um, the finish was a little bit silly, I suppose. I mean, but it worked. Uh, it like I said, it, it kind of added to that that feud of, of, of uh, Brett and, and Shawn Michaels. Um, but, yeah, I didn't hate the match. It just wasn't the best match on the card.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. You know, it, it kind of helped to further push storylines. Shawn and Sid, Shawn and Brett, Stone Colden and Brett. Um, Shawn f- more firmly, especially post-match, the way he's speaking to fans, the way he's acting mm-hmm. with fans, it firmly solidified him in that full turn to heal. And mm-hmm. so that, that I appreciated. It kind of drew those lines a little bit clearer, at least for the time being. Um, and, and I think, you know, we've talked about it before with Sid doing the, you know, what he did in the match to win the title to Jose Lothario. We kind of had a, Okay, is Sid the heel? Because we were trying to make him the heel. And I think they realized at this point, Sid's not going to be a heel, no matter how they try and slice it. You know, they the fans want him to be master and commander and ruler of the world, you know, and they're here for that. And so while he can get away, it's kind of a stone cold before he was fully encapsulated as stone cold. Mm. You know, he's, he's the anti-hero. Um, type deal where they'll they'll kind of excuse his actions because you know they want him to succeed they want they want the not so nice bad guy you know or not so nice good guy to win and so it it helped to draw those lines in the sand so to speak a little bit better and so i'm kind of with mags i didn't hate the match i didn't love the match um there, there, was a lot of convoluted things going on, but it, it was okay. It, it wasn't the best match on the card, I would say. But it, I, mean, I think I, it did what it needed to do.
2: Yeah, I, I enjoyed the brawl post match though, when uh, especially with Bret Hart pulling Shawn Michaels' uh, shirt over his head, kind of like you would do, um, like seeing hockey, I suppose, mm-hmm. ass and, and just laying into him. Um, but yeah, the this it felt almost Hogan esque for me that Sid had won the title when he was in the ring celebrating and who was on who was the focal point it was Shawn Michaels. Hmm. It it kind of felt very politically motivated to to make sure Sean no. was the guy uh, at the end of the show, not the champion.
3: Hmm. Definitely.
2: I mean, I mean the-
1: the- think about okay. it it's Vince
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my are we God,
1: really Sean. that
2: so masculine <laughs>
1: ay, ay, ay. <laughs> which is so funny because we are there's always kind of this running I don't want to say it's a, a running joke but it's a running understanding within the wrestling community that Vince likes big guys and Sean's not that big You know, in comparison to the to the quote unquote big guys that we usually see him make champion or put in prominent positions. It's really, really weird. I mean, maybe just because, you know, so many fans were behind him and he was making the money.
2: Maybe or maybe there was another reason.
1: (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Max. (laughs)
3: Well, let's,
1: let's leave that where it is. Yes. Let's leave it, not <laughs> even on the table. Let's put it on the floor, kick it away.
3: Well, on that note, uh, we come to an end of the pay-per-view, and uh I just want to say thank you, everyone, for uh, listening in, if you've made it this far. Um, as a pay-per-view itself, though, what, did you, what would you guys rate this?
2: I mean, I'm happy to go first because I went into this – um kind of remembering the the bad stuff about this view, and and we all we've we've all seen that like how it's been reviewed online and how it gets reviewed in in uh in uh, youtube videos this is this is roundly hated by uh, the majority of the wrestling community but actually sitting and watching it this was an enjoyable two hours of wrestling for me. Um, yeah, the the interferences were were ridiculous. Yes, the uh, Armageddon match was was dumb, but I had fun. I enjoyed watching this card. Uh, we had some really good uh, wrestling in a couple of matches. We got some continuations of storylines. Yeah, it, it it ticked a lot of boxes. It's not going to be a classic, and I'm not kind of clamoring to watch it again in the in the near future, but. I don't regret watching it.
1: No, I I can say the same. Like I don't regret watching it, you know. But I I can't say that I'd ever go back and watch it again. Mm. That that's kind of where I am. It, it's not one of those that I could go back and rewatch it a hundred times. You know, I couldn't even rewatch. I I don't even know. The only way I could probably rewatch it is if in a year from now somebody asked me to come on a podcast (laughs) and talk about this pay-per-view. And then even then I've got it all written down in a notebook. So I could probably just go through my notebook real quick. And uh, you you will
2: never watch this again.
1: Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Maybe five years from now I I could potentially, no, I'll, I'll give it three years. I could potentially, if I absolutely <laughs> had to, yeah, I could watch it again, maybe in three years, and Daddy, even then, I'd probably still fast forward.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, will I watch this again? Probably not. But um, I mean, there wasn't, as we said in the Survivor series review, we was thinking what things really stand out, and to me, there was really nothing that stood out apart from that ridiculous looking security group um with the Zubaz pants and uh the uh the blue shirts that look like they they look like um rejected wrestlers like just they kind of just look like dropouts but um other than other than that no i don't think i would go back and watch this but um i mean it wasn't bad but it just it's, it's just not what I grew up on so but yeah but on that note but thank you I'm I'm
2: glad we get to
3: torment you with with this horrific (laughs) wrestling definitely one day I'll torment you in the (laughs) 2005-2006 era Jesus Christ (laughs) but yep that's going to end it for us uh, today thank you everyone for joining in and um, yep as we do the socials so where can everyone find you Mags
2: oh you can follow me I mean, I'm pointing because we're actually on a video, but it's going to be audio. But you can follow me on Twitter, at Podfather Max. Uh, I'm involved in so many different podcasts, just too many podcasts I really need to cull my, my amount. But I cover wrestling, football. You will? Football. No. I'm definitely not going to. No. I'll probably add to it. <laughs> but I cover wrestling, football, MMA. Uh, wherever you hear a podcast, you can hear the, the dulcet tones of my voice.
3: And where can we find you, Ori?
1: You can find me on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Ori the Draw.
3: Brilliant! And also, I want to give a shout out to Tanner, who is uh, going to be back uh, really soon, isn't he, Max?
2: No, I, I don't oh. know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is Tanner. Yeah. Finally, uh, getting to the end of uh, completing his move across Texas. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, he'll be back in the in the coming weeks. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll hear the Texas gentleman again.
1: And if you want to <sighs> torment him and tell him to hurry his butt up, you can catch him at Radio Techers on Twitter or Texas Gentleman underscore. You can.
3: Brilliant. And you can find me on Twitter only at uh, Scottish Juggalo. I may not sound Scottish, but I am... Um, and uh thank you very much. The
2: more you have to tell it, the more I
3: don't believe you are. <laughs> it's like
2: the lady doth protest too much.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you're you're killing my gimmick there. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you everyone for uh, tuning in and uh we'll see you uh we'll hit next week. Don't
1: forget to check out all of the shows here on Chairshot Radio Network, such as um, Lucha Weekly, um, Underground. Yeah, Lucha Underground Weekly or Lucha Weekly Underground. I'm trying to remember. it's, it's
2: It's Lucha Central.
1: Lucha Central. I would like to formally apologize to Miranda Morales.
2: (laughs) The good thing is she doesn't have Twitter. She's the Twitter's heroine. That's right. She can't blast you on on the socials.
1: No, but I do follow her on Instagram. So, uh, you know, I might get an
2: angry angry DM.
1: That's it. I do apologize um, (laughs) to the queen of Soft style Uh, But you can catch Lucha Central, DWI, Bandwagon Nerds, the Greg DeMarco Show, so Pot many is other...
2: Hot yeah. is so war. Many great, so, many. so many
1: great shows. There's a new show every day. Check it out. And don't forget, you can also go to pro wrestling ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and pick up your own Chair Shot shirt, including Chair Shot 360.
2: But pay by PayPal. Don't put your details yeah, no, in.
1: No, <laughs> do PayPal. Always PayPal. <laughs> Hoy. Anyway but thanks for joining us here on Chairshot Radio Network. We will see you next week. And don't forget, guys, always use your head.
2: Guten tag. bye